To support our work at the Izzy and Murtada Picture Show and the work of other independent creators like us, sign up to listen to the podcast on Nebula. Nebula is the creator-owned streaming platform that hosts great videos and podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. Sign up today at nebula.tv slash picture show, and you'll get access to this podcast plus other great podcasts and videos. Sign up at Nebula and help support independent media creators. That's nebula.tv slash picture show. Yep. Hi, I'm Mortada. And I'm Izzy. And this is the Izzy and Mortada Picture Show. Um, in the lull before the Oscars, we have a special episode. We asked um, you, the listeners, for questions. And we're so happy you sent us so many. So we're actually going to have an all readers' questions um, episode. It's fantastic. Yep. People are it's, listening, Izzy. I know. It's going to be great. <laughs> Although, I will say... Um, some, some of the questions I think have been answered in some other episodes. Yes. <laughs> like, so, um, if, for example, you were curious about what we think about horror things or, um, other films that have come out recently, please do look through the archive of our episodes because, you might find answers to yes, some of the questions. Totally. Um, we could just point that episode. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Exactly. But we do appreciate that you want to know what we think. Yes. About that's, some of these things. Yeah. That's why we we do this every week. Yep. Um, Mertana, I'm going to start off with... Um, Kind of a, a big one, I think, actually. But someone specifically wanted to hear from you about this. So I'm going to toss it to you for the first question. All right. Um, this person said, I would love to hear about Murtada's favorite queer films and the state of queer cinema now. Oh, wow. That is a big question. It's a big question. <laughs> but I feel like you uh, know this better than anyone. Yeah. So the state of queer cinema actually um, is amazing. I think is amazing. Um, every year... Um, and I'm just starting the process now um, for NewFest. As some of you might know, I work as a curator for NewFest, which is the New York City LGBTQ plus um, film festival. And we usually start our process around this time. We open for submissions. And every year, two things happen. I go to Sundance and you see some amazing queer films there. And you're like, okay, it's good. The state of queer film is good. The submissions open. And from now until... We announced sometime in August, I'm just watching queer films from all over the world. Um, and there is a lot of amazing work um, always every year, especially in um, documentary and short in international narrative um, in from places like Brazil, from Nigeria, um, from places in Europe, like uh, Germany has a lot of amazing queer films. Um, Eastern Europe, France is always um um, but I'm also happy to see, you know, like last year we had all uh, all the colors are between black and white, which was the first LGBTQ film from Nigeria. Um, and Brazil does amazing work in queer film. So uh, where I think queer film is lacking is the United States, uh, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, there are a lot of, of um, amazing 
um, American documentaries and short films. But narrative film in the US, um, in my opinion, is sort of still hung up in identity. Um, in like, I'm queer, I'm a lesbian, I'm a queer brown person, or I'm a queer black person. Um, and that's where they're stuck. And I'm like, okay, but that's just the start of the conversation. What else, what else is your movie about? What else is the story you wanna tell? Um, so this is a challenge, but I see, you know, filmmakers who are up and coming, who, may, who are making shorts, um, do amazing work. Um, and the shorts are always such an amazing, uh, for me as a curator, to see new talent and sometimes talent that has been working for years, but in other mediums, who were writers or podcasters or, um, you know, work behind the scenes. And suddenly after years of experience, they make their, they make a small um, short. And all of those are amazing. And that gives me hope for the future of queer film. Um, I love so I lo I, your answer reminds me of that um, answer Todd Haynes gave recently where he was like I'm not interested if it's like just mm -hmm. queer for queer's sake or like it needs to say something else yes exactly I don't yeah. it was in Vulture I, I'm poorly paraphrasing it but yeah no I, th I think that's what he said and I agree with him 100% um, mm -hmm. and I, I think um um, so if somebody wants recommendations, I'm happy um, to send you a lot of recommendations about queer films that have played in the festival that I have seen that we were unable to bring to New York for a reason or another, but they are out there. There are a lot of great films. And I think this year Sundance gave us a couple, like there is a movie called In the Summers, which is um, actually won the Grand Jury Prize. It's, um, and that one, one of the main characters in it is queer, but it's also just a movie that's sort of like... Um, celebrates the alternative um, choices of people, um, which is, so it's a queer um, narrative or lens, if you say, even if it, not all the characters are identify as queer in it. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll move on to the next question, which is tips for hosting a 10 out of 10 Oscar party. Oh, I'm the worst at this. Me I'm too. yeah. I don't know. I, I yeah. My, I many of my closest friends have not seen my apartment. Like I never host anything, and that's because yeah. I'm bad at it. So I yeah. can't answer this question. So we hosted a couple. Um, we usually have at least a friend or two. Sometimes come to watch whatever. Um, but usually the host in this um scenario is my husband Philip. I'm just sitting there watching the show. Um, Philip knows what food to prepare, um, what amazing drinks to do. So I can't really say anything except the one thing I will say, invite friends who will not speak during the speeches. Make yeah. sure they are all on that page and there is no conversation. <laughs> I have a hard time with Oscar parties. Like, I really feel like I have to tell myself I'm either like not going to pay attention at all or I need everyone to shut up. Do you know what yes. I mean? Yeah. It's like I went to a, at, um, a Oscars party thing at Nighthawk last year, which was really, really fun because uh -huh. I sort of put myself in the mindset like this is a party. And so it's just like a night to have fun and not really take anything seriously. But other times I'm like, no, I need to pay like I need to know what's happening. I need to know what's going on. And if everyone could stop. <laughs> talking that that would be awesome but then I yes. feel like such a party pooper so it's like tough yeah. I think yeah I mean I've been to parties and, and I've had people in where we're all on the same page we want to listen to every single thing that's happening right. in the show and you kind of talk during the commercial break so I think it can be done 
<laughs> yes, totally. Yeah, it's a hard balance to strike for sure. But another um, tip, maybe just make it fun, like have a competition. Also, the easiest competition is like just pe- let people predict and guess. So that's easy. Um, yeah. and, and maybe bingo cards are fun. Yes, bingo cards. It's another one. You had a great bingo um, mm-hmm. So use Izzy's. I'm I'm not sure if you're gonna make one this year, but if you do, <laughs> our listeners can use your bingo card. I know. I'm sure there's some pretty obvious things we could put on there for sure. Yeah. Um. Okay. If you were to host a movie night or a movie theater event, what would it be like? I feel like you have some experience with this because um, you kind of do host events. Yeah, I do. Didn't we? Have, I thought I saw another question that. Um, ask for a double bill. Is there a question like that? Maybe I can answer there them might together. Be, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, something about a queer night or um, a campy night, maybe. Mm-hmm. I think there was a question like that. So thank you to both these questions and I'm just going to answer them together. And then Izzy, you tell me what you will do. Mm-hmm. I will um, I will do a camp. Um, we know every word of this movie. Let's talk back to the screen and watch Betty Davis, John Crawford, Judy Dench, and Kate Blanchett. And it's a double bill of Notes on a Scandal and um, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Because I think they are thematically um, in conversation with each other, even though they're um, how many years apart? 40, 45 years apart. Um, Four amazing actresses who we love. um, And I personally know every single line of both those movies. Um, and I, because I've watched them a million times, each one of them. And I think um, um, there are a lot of people who know every single line, especially the big scenes. Um, and so I think that would be fun. It will be fun. It will be queer. It will be camp. Um, and it will be all of those things. <laughs> right, right. Um I would do something similar. I don't think I would. I'm not at this point interested in doing anything too serious. Like I would want it to be kind of fun and silly. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite theater going experiences in New York is the Mamma Mia sing along at syndicated. Yeah. That is just so fun because nobody's there to really like take it seriously. You just want to scream Abba as loud as you can. Um, yeah. And so I would want to do something like that. So I would think it would be some kind of musical or similar to what you said. I think Mommy Dearest was a really fun one. I did one. Um I think Head of Lettuce. Yeah, yeah. Head of Lettuce. Post I don't those know. Okay occasionally. Yeah. So if I could just give people like that money, like funny people money yeah. to just uh-huh commentate then i would do that (laughs) we can do a series um we can do all those movies plus the ones i mentioned and let's do a series head of lettuce if you're listening call us email us (laughs) (laughs) um here's one from dan simpson who's eyebrow cinema on youtube if you all have watched his stuff before if you haven't i highly recommend um his question is as public creators how do you balance audience expectations with your own passions and interests hmm um do you want to answer that (laughs) i wish i knew i wish i had an answer um Uh i don't know i think it's harder um because sometimes you i one of the things i've tried to do with my youtube channel is like stay true to myself which is Mm -hmm. that like if i'm interested in it that's what i'm going to give priority because mm-hmm. I'm never going to be the only person who's interested in something. Totally. But I also yeah. have to realize that, like, I may not be the only person, but there may certainly be less of us who is yeah. more interested in 
any given thing than like whatever the thing is people are talking about. In the past, I've given more priority to my own interests, but I'm starting to realize like now that I'm doing this full time, Mm -hmm. I need to be a little more ruthless about my decision making Mm -hmm. and think more about what is literally going to pay my rent Mm -hmm. than um, indulging myself. And so like I wish those things were the Venn diagram was like a circle that I could indulge myself with things I love with things I totally love, but I'm, um, I think I'm just going to have to be a little more smart about that going forward, which sucks to like admit that you're not, you know, a a thousand percent enthusiastic about everything that you want to talk about. But, um, I think just finding a nice balance is I'm thinking more about the balance these days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I kind of actually, my answer to this question is that I mostly don't think of audience expectations because mm-hmm. in my um, in my work as a critic, um, I don't because I'm yeah. basically right about That's the movies. That's the job. <laughs> That's the job. So um, I write about the movies that they want me to write about. Um, and then I say my opinion. Um, so there is no audience expectation there. Um, as a curator, I have to think of the audience because I'm curating for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where um, I do something the same that you do, which is, you know, if if I love this movie, somebody else would love it. And sometimes even if um, and sometimes you do things like, you know, you love a movie and you know that maybe this movie is a little niche or whatever. But there are ways of playing that film or making sure it gets seen, you know, in the way you talk about it um, and all of those things. So. So that's kind of what I think about. But the other thing is we have this podcast um, where we don't have to think about audience expectations and where we do what we want, basically, because this is a volunteer job that Izzy mm-hmm. and I do every week because we we love to talk to each other and we want to talk to people and talk about film. Um, we haven't made any money out of it yet. So give us five stars, tell your friends. But also, you know, we we know what our audience in this podcast wants to listen to us talk about the Oscars. Um, And those are the episodes that get the most listens, but we also want to do other things. So there's a week where I talk to Lena Swalem about her amazing film by Bai Tabaria, where you talk to Pamela Hutchinson about the red shoes. And these are people who are working and moving the culture in interesting ways and doing interesting work and people should listen to them. So maybe somebody who wants to listen to the Oscars can come to our a podcast and then hear about these people in the culture who are doing amazing work and then maybe find their work, support their work, watch their movies, you know, if they're curating, because we had a few curators and, and writers, find the book, find the exhibition, whatever it is. Um, and so I think this podcast is an oasis where we don't have to think as much of audience expectations. We love you, um, <laughs> but we are doing this kind of for ourselves. And it's fun that so many people are coming along for the ride. Right. Um, do you have any favorite scores or soundtracks from the best picture films? This year or in general? Or, um, I'm gonna say <laughs> this year. Are there any others that you like? Um this year. Um, I think the one that comes to mind is the zone of interest, although I yeah. don't know that. Um, but I have an answer from like a movie from several years ago. Um 2014 was a year of very good soundtracks and there are two that I listen to all the time and I um I write to those soundtracks um hmm. um 
you know, and it doesn't reflect, I don't, I love one of these movies and don't love the other one, but the soundtracks are amazing, the score. So it's The Theory of Everything, amazing score, one of my favorites ever. So nice to write to and just, you know, put it on and let everything in the background and you're just zoning in to do it. And The Grand Budapest Hotel, that's the other one. Nice, nice. Do you write to any? Um... I can't write to music because... <laughs> um. I want to listen to it. And then I, it's like very distracting to me, Yeah. but you know what I've actually started listening to, which is like a little embarrassing, but it's a hundred, it's really working for me is I listen to people draw like ASMR mm, people mm. like drawing or writing Yeah. because then I feel like I'm at a library. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's like tricking my mind into being like, uh, everybody else is working. <laughs> so get to it, you know? Yeah. Um, so that is kind of embarrassing and my YouTube algorithm is so weird. <laughs> but, um, that's what I listen to when I work. I um, love it. I agree with you. I think Zone of Interest was the best score this year. I will say I thought Oppenheimer's score was like actively really bad and I'm shocked that people really like it. Or maybe maybe it's not even so much the composition. I think the the way it's woven into the film is obnoxious like it's very present all the time and really loud yeah and loud usually wins so no wonder it's winning all the awards yeah i don't even i frankly i don't even remember it so i mean i've seen that movie in july so i don't remember the score but nothing has like i have to say since those two that I work to, like nothing has really caught my. I think the shape of shape of water has an interesting um, soundtrack from a Best Picture winner yeah. from the last few days, just as a piece of music. I do listen to a lot of scores, though, like in general, just like in the in like an Uber or on the train or whatever. I've been listening to a lot of Italian scores because I made that playlist for The Godfather. Um. Like I make I make playlists on Spotify that correspond to a video that I make. So I made one that's like oh, mostly okay. Italian scores. And it's um like a lot of Ennio Morricone and like Nino Rota and stuff like that, which I love, like obsessed yeah. with that. Um hmm. so check out anyways. that um that list if you're listening. You yeah, those are all to, to work my, to. <laughs> yeah, those are all on my Instagram, all the playlists, if you want to listen to those. Um, okay. Movies that you know are flawed, but you love regardless. Mm. I mean, what is flawed? If I like it, I don't think it's flawed. That's kind of my Well, my also, thinking. it's like, what movie isn't flawed? Do you know what I mean? Like, you can find <laughs> yeah. anything to quibble with anything. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess... I like, Mamma Mia is that for me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think if if this... Some, when people say stuff like that, and this is not the person who asked this question at all, just in general in the culture. So whoever asked this question, this is not um, questioning your question. But um, people will say like a guilty pleasure, right? Um, right. And like, if it's pleasurable, why is it guilty? Is it yeah, just I because agree. this movie is maybe about women? Maybe it's campy a little bit. Maybe it's not like serious with a capital S um, about a serious topic. Um and so I think the examples I used earlier of those two movies, Baby Jane and Notes on a Scandal, like those I think are fantastic movies. Um, and both of them, top-notch performances, good movies, amazing screenplays, like as cinema they work. But 
people think of them as second rate, as scampy, as like fun movies, maybe for the gays and the women. Um, mm. And so could be flawed, but I see them as perfect. So I Same. guess that's my answer. Um, if I like it, it's not flawed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. Um, yeah, same answer. Words. I think like if movies can serve different functions for you. I don't go to Mamma Mia when I'm looking for, I don't know, um, May, December. Totally. You know what I mean, yeah. it's like it's doing different things for me. And yeah. so that's what that is. Um, I think one movie maybe that kind of works for this for me is A Foreign Affair, which is a Billy Wilder movie that doesn't really get a lot of attention mm. um, because it's kind of like made smack dab in the middle of a lot of his like oh, yeah. excellent films. Um, but I think it's like super incisive and like a biting commentary on America's post-war behavior in Berlin. Um, and I love it. And it doesn't really get a lot of respect or, I guess, attention. So that's the only reason I'm putting it in this category. Yeah. You know, that reminded me of another film about Germany, The Good German, the Soderbergh, Kate Blanchett, George right, Clooney yeah. movie. I love that film. Um, but it has such a bad reputation. It was like a major flop. Critics hate it. Everybody hates it. Um, and it's an ex because they were doing like a petition of Casablanca, um, mm -hmm. which didn't work for people. I'm like, why do Casablanca? Um, and Kate is... You know, I watched it for Kate Blanchett's performance. She's doing like an Ingrid Bergman slash Marlena Dietrich kind of mm -hmm. um, inspired performance. Like you can see the references in every yeah. move she makes on screen. Um, and also you see the references in every shot that Soderbergh sort of um, comes up with and frames the actors and everything. So it's a good, I like it for that, that it's sort of like an academic film. If you love movies from that era, um, go watch it and, you know, compare. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you have any obsessions outside of film? Um, do I have time? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll answer this question in a funny way. So you said you on YouTube, you watch um, drawing videos, right? I Well, I listen to them. You yeah. listen to them. Okay, so yeah. I, after a full day of working on this job, which requires that I watch a lot of movies and think about them all day long, I do not want to watch something to relax something that will make me think. So I watch mm -hmm. on YouTube video um, uh, videos of planes taking off and landing. There oh is so many That's of these awesome. videos. And some of them are live. People will go to Heathrow or LAX or JFK or whatever and find the place by the, by the runway and just put their cameras and just follow flights up and down. This is landing. This wow. is go. This is flying. And it's very relaxing. And you don't have to think about anything. It's just planes. Nothing's going to happen except they're going to land or take off. Right. And that's it. <laughs> is it, do they use the audio of the plane or is it like, do they dub it with music? No, they use the audio of a plane. Some people, some of them have commentary, which is like, sometimes I don't want to listen to the commentary. So I'll just, just put them without sound. Um, and right. sometimes I'll listen to the commentary if it's like just, oh, it's, I don't know, Swiss Air from Zurich and United from Chicago, which is just what you want to hear too. It's, again, nothing that makes you think. Wow. <laughs> I love that. I mean, I'm kind of the same. It's like the thing outside of film that I want to think about is like, it's not, I don't need to think about this at all. It's very straightforward, mm -hmm. which is for me, that's soccer. Yes. Yeah. I watch a lot of soccer. Yeah. And so um, 
but that's why i mean it is i like to sell it to people um as like it's like the world's best reality show but like most i think like most straight guys who watch it like don't realize that it is but that's what it is <laughs> it's a reality show um where you know you just kind of like fall in love with some of the characters and learn to hate some of the other characters and you Mm -hmm. just dislike people because they are on this team for and so that's enough you know (laughs) it's very silly um and it's all very like brain off you're just watching people run around and then you get really excited because someone kicked a ball into a net (laughs) yes it is exciting it's very fun I love um, soccer too. Every four years, just the World Cup. <laughs> right. And I think that's totally fair. I'm completely corrupted in um, watching it all day, all the time. So, alas. Um, this one is for me. Will you ever make a video about the 1951 Best Actress Race? And yes, I will. I actually do plan to do that this year. I feel like I have teased it like seven times. But as I, as I said earlier... I need to be a little more conscientious of audience <laughs> interest. Yes. And um, for a long time, I avoided that because it's very intimidating because everybody wants it. Um, but now I'm just kind of like, I need to do it. I'm, I've been thinking kind of long-term about um, when that is going to happen. I would put it in either summer or early fall just based on what I know my schedule is going to look like. So it is coming and I'm promising that now and you can all be mad at me if I don't do it, but I will do it. So um, 1951, that's the film year of 1950. So this is the all about right. Eve. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Cause I was like, at first I was like 1951, what's special about that? But then I realized what it is. Right. Ugh. Yeah, I've been bad about it. Okay. Um, are you watching Capote and the Swans? Which 90s film? Oh, this is a, this is two questions. So I'll just start with this. Are you watching um, Capote and the Swans? I am. I actually just started it this week and I watched, um, I don't know, whatever's available, the four or five episodes. It's it's good. I like it so far. I think I wasn't expecting um, the ladies to be outshone by... The man playing Capote, but he Tom Hollander is wonderful. He is, mm-hmm. as they say, the titular character. So of course, there you go. Um, and and it's a it's a new take on on a sort of part that we've seen played by other actors and when won Oscars and all of that. So yeah, I like it. It's it's good so far. Great. Um, I haven't watched it. I'm not opposed to watching it. Um, but I'm also not rushing. <laughs> yes. Um, Okay, some things that we, if you, again, if you want to see our thoughts on Casablanca, the film, boy, do we have an episode for you. Yes. <laughs> uh, So do check our archive for that. Um, What is your favorite decade of American films? Hmm. Oh, I mean, I guess the 40s, maybe the 30s. I mean, the obvious answer that everybody gives is the 70s. And there are yeah. a lot of good movies in the 70s. But then you have to see things like um, The Empire Strikes Back, and whatever, which are good films, but like not my cup of tea. Like I want to see um, Betty Davis and Joan Crawford and all sure, that sure, stuff. Sure. So, so maybe 35 to 45 is actually my answer. Okay, yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. That's a good answer. 
Um, yeah, I mean, mine's probably similar. I, I think typically like in the long game, I would say the thirties, but I also, I've been doing a lot of seventies recently and have been really enjoying that. So of course, again, that's obvious. Maybe I'll say the most underrated decade is the fifties. Hmm. I think people yeah. don't like to say that for some reason, but it is like maybe one of the best. I mean, Douglas Sirk worked in the fifties, so there's yeah. one filmmaker we love. There you go. Um, which 90s film would you like to see as a limited series? Um, well, first of all, I'm against limited series. I feel like a lot of <laughs> limited series are just padding things when it should have been like maybe it's not two hours, maybe it's three hours, but I don't need eight hours of it. But um, right. let's rediscover um you know, things that are based on books. And the one that came to me, and I don't know why, maybe I saw somebody say something about it recently, is the James Ivory film uh, with um, Anthony Hopkins and um, Emma Thompson, The Remains of the Day. I know they made a miniseries of Howard's End and it wasn't good, but I think The Remains of the Day, I would want to see a little bit more of it because that movie is so economical, so beautifully rendered about the story of these two people but also at the same time, it's telling you the story of Britain and at that mm -hmm. time in the mid thirties, right before the second world war and sort of like the, the politics of class and what the ruling class was trying to do. So I would like to explore a lot of that more. And I, I haven't read the book, so I don't know if that's in the book or not, but maybe, maybe they should bring Kazuo Ishiguro to write more about the, the, the characters that were not given center in the film while maintaining the central relationship of the two leads. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I share your hesitation about limited series. Like I wouldn't want to do a film that is then stretched out into a limited series because it's like, I feel like they would just make it worse. Yeah. Um. So it would either need to be like you did like a book that was trimmed that can then be a more faithful rendering or something that has like an interesting world that you could like build lore into. So mine, I think my choice would be Strange Days. Oh, wow. Good choice. Yeah. Because I think that could result in like, I don't know, just, that has just really good lore. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So it could be, it could be a limited series that's like not even about the people that are in the movie. You know what I mean? Just set in the world. Yes. Yeah. Um, what, when was the moment each of you fell in love with cinema? It, that, that's Wyatt, right? Hi, mm -hmm. Wyatt. Wyatt says hi. <laughs> he says he already knows your answer, but he's curious if you have a second one. Um, so the answer that I gave on my Kate Blanchett podcast, Sundays with Kate, is when I saw Elizabeth. Um, and I was very, um, I was young and impressionable. And I was like, who is this person? Um, and at that time, I haven't seen a lot of movies and I hadn't seen a lot of actors. And I was like, I can't believe somebody can do this on screen. And um, and just I was in trance and enchanted. Um, and that's a moment I remember. And it's like I think that's like a good answer for for that obsession with that podcast. But I don't know. I, I think I've always just was interested, you know, as a queer kid growing up where um, 
I, as far as I can remember, I knew I was gay, but I just knew that I need to keep it a secret for a little bit until I'm ready to like tell the world. I never felt any guilt about it was, or that I was bad or that I should be straight or whatever. Those, all those other things that society sort of like demands of you. I'm just like, oh, you know, I'm this way and I like it, but I just need to keep it a secret. So in that secret world that I lived in, I just, you know, gravitated towards... TV, obviously, because, you know, there was um, not a lot of cinemas in Khartoum, but there was a lot of TV and Egyptian soap operas. That was my first love. And again, it's like the world that it takes you in, the outsized emotions, all the things that you're keeping a secret, um, but is expressed in the soap opera, in in uh, melodrama, in camp, all of these. Everything is big and huge and everything is um, very dramatic and bigger than life um and out there it's not a secret it's out there so i think that's how i fell in love yeah that's a really good answer damn um mine is not as good <laughs> um my yeah mine like is touches on some of the most horrifically american things um first of which is disney princesses uh i allegedly as a child would like watch Beauty and the Beast and then it would finish and then I would like rewind the VHS and like watch it again. Like I, I, I was indescribably obsessed with this movie for some reason. I um, love it. And oh. then the first like theater going experience I had that I really remember was seeing Gone with the Wind um, because that's my mom's favorite movie. And um of course, like major asterisks on that <laughs> film in general. But I think um, going to see it, like I grew up in Ohio and there's like this one downtown theater that's like very majestic and kind of, it's like very old school um, and opulent. And so that I remember going to that because they had like a classic film summer series. And so she took me to that because she and like set it all up. I was like, this is my favorite film. I'm so excited. She like bought me Twizzlers. And then just see, like how big that movie is. Oh my God. Kid. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. uh, just the scale of it and how long it was, you know, I'd never seen anything else like that. Um, And so, yeah, that was just, that was a really good experience like mm. at the time for what I oh. was understood, you know? Yeah. Um, I love that answer. And, you know, don't apologize for gone with the wind. Yes. It's, it's the story and whatever, but it's, there is the thing that I was talking about, the outsized dramatics of Vivian Lee right. and Harry McDaniel and Olivia de Havilland. Like, come on, how come you not, you have to fall in love with all of well, that? Well, yeah. And it's like all of these people working at kind of their peaks, really. Yeah. I, mean, I guess you, you could debate with Vivian Lee, whether um, Streetcar is her peak, but for me, well, it's always Scarlet. Yeah, she has two peaks. People right. can have two, more than one peak. Yeah. <laughs> so this this person said just if like some words, but I think they're, I think it's a good starting point, which is <laughs> incurious audiences, studio era monopolization in the digital age, hyperbolic reviews slash reaction. Thoughts. <laughs> oh, wow. How do we, um how do we talk about this? I think it's yeah. a it's it's a lot. It's um it's a beast that feeds itself. Mm -hmm. um, um, I'll talk about it from like a little bit of inside baseball, but you know, critics and people who are you know working in media and why sort of like um, there is competition 
a lot of my um, our colleagues are not paid for what they do. A lot of them aren't. Um, only few people are paid. Um, they're, we're all fighting for access. We're all fighting this this dwindling career opportunities. Um, and so being first, um, being the one who um, has the reaction that is shared around, um, that is read by the filmmakers or, you know, whatever, or an editor who then reads it and be like, do you want to review the film? Or do you want to come on my podcast to talk about the film? That is how a lot of people get jobs. So, yeah. so or opportunities. In, in a lot of cases, it's not jobs. It's just opportunities to do something. Um, um, and so that's why people want to be first. That's why people do the hyperbolic thing. So I just answered that part of the equation. Um, yeah. And it's all like a beast that feed, feeds itself. Everybody's feeding the other. Like those people, my colleagues and our colleagues are feeding the studios or feeding the, the whatever, the streaming, the all of that. So um, so why don't you answer another part of that equation? <laughs> um, I don't, oh gosh. I think the monopolization is the saddest part for me. It's strange because I feel like so when um the before the studios were constrained by the paramount decrees which was like the last time there was kind of a vertical monopoly mm-hmm. of the industry um there was still a level of like artistry <laughs> that i feel isn't being replicated like you could um like the producers who were working for these companies were not um wall street guys they were con- mm-hmm. they were controlled by wall street guys but they were they still invested Artistic. in like art making mm-hmm. yeah. and i think that is what is really shameful to me is like that whole that layer of protection for filmmakers where you have people in like company corporate positions who are still looking out for you as an artist or like interested in prestige as an actual measurable valuable mm-hmm. thing um yeah. just like kind of don't exist as much anymore or it's yep. like harder and harder to do that yeah. um given how expensive films are and the fact that they need to make back like millions and millions of dollars to even be mm-hmm. worth it yeah like not allowed to fail which has always been true but i think like the scale is just so much greater now yeah. so i just feel like the monopolization of it this time around is sort of like even harder to digest and like Uh allows for even less freedom than the first time around. Yeah. And, um, it's horrible. Yeah. (laughs) It makes me really sad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I hear you, but I'm going to counter with an optimistic view and it's not my view, but it's, um, it's two people, um, in the industry that I heard speak recently at Sundance, they did this panel with a lot of people, including Richard Linklater, who said that when he came to Sundance um, 40 years ago for the first time, or however long it was, maybe I'm aging him, maybe it was 30, um, there were maybe 200 uh, films that were submitted and that were chosen from, that was the pool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he said that he heard that this year there were more than 
14,000 submissions to Sundance. Yeah. That, of course, includes narrative documentaries, shorts from all over the world. But imagine in the last 35 to 40 years, submissions at Sundance go from 200, 250 to 14,000. Mm -hmm. That means a lot more people are making films. A lot of it will never see an audience and a lot of it is terrible, but there is movies that are being made. And I think yeah. if, despite the monopoly, um, the, you know, hopefully the good ones will come out somehow. Um, and and so there is hope, like at least people are making them. And then yeah. let's see um, what I happens after that. Well, I think like the difference is there are two things kind of fighting against each other, which is like one is the democratization of tools. Mm -hmm. It's easier than ever to get like a decent camera and microphone yeah. to like make yeah. something. Mm -hmm. But then like the limiting of distribution and like, mm -hmm. because even though you can put it online, it's like the likelihood that it does anything is kind of low. Yeah. You know, fair. Absolutely. So it's like, those things are kind of in tension with each other. Um, yeah. Anyways. But people are making them. So that's yes. the, that's the optimistic view. And then the other one, I was just listening to Mantha Morton was given the, the BAFTA fellowship and I listened to her speech or I think maybe it was a question after. Um, and she said something about this is, um, I'm paraphrasing here, it's something about like, this is a time of change and change is always difficult and we don't know where we're going to settle basically, like where yeah. this will end and what it is. Um, and that sort of also makes me a little bit op optimistic because when TV came in the 50s, people thought cinema was going to die and it didn't. Oh, yeah. People uh, think it's going to die every three minutes. Exactly. So Even with AI, I don't think it's going to die because ultimately, like, the one – I think art making is the only – genuinely good thing humanity has done <laughs> yeah totally right like, and it's also like one of the um it's like uh i don't think anything can stop people from wanting to express themselves mm -hmm. yeah and there's you can only really do so much with ai yeah. you know what i mean like i don't think it's gonna ever stop people from wanting to act or like mm -hmm. stop people from wanting to write music or you know build something you know what i mean like yeah absolutely like that that is so innate and like people need to be able to have a venue to express it and like i don't think ai is like even capable of doing that even in its ideal form and like the yeah. weird dystopian ways everyone wants to use it yeah yeah um, so hope hope springs eternal <laughs> yes um easier question who should be sofia coppola's next muse wow so who is her first movie? Is it Kirsten Dunst? Kirsten, yeah. Um, uh, well, I don't know. You, you're the Sophia expert. I think this question is for you. <laughs> well, I, I kind of, um, I guess, want to refute the. Well, maybe not. Hmm. Not to say I don't want to like answer the question exactly, but I kind of don't. the The thing is, I want her to like move on. You know what I mean. Like, as much as I want to see her keep working with Kirsten Dunst and stuff, I'm like, I would love, or maybe Kirsten Dunst, I want to see her work with again because I want to see her make more things about like adults mm, yeah. and explore like sophisticated womanhood. Mm. Um, I think she's been making, she's been focused on characters who are kind of like proxies for herself. 
for herself as a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And like the one time she kind of broke out of that with um well kind of with somewhere and um bling ring and uh I don't know. Somewhere seems to me like that was about her when she was like 12. When she was little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think like it's mostly focused on the dad. Um but uh and then what was the other one? Oh, on the rocks. It's like about an old like a middle-aged woman um and it like wasn't very successful so i i'm i would be really curious to see what she can do with like alternate visions of womanhood like whether that means uh like a non-white actor or um Ooh, i wouldn't yeah. ask her to do that like um it's better she knows she does she's she best kind of she did it with on the rocks like yeah, like, but Rashida that's... Jones, really? Rashida Jones, yes, she's not a white woman. She's a black woman, but she's also the daughter of a world famous I know. artist that's just I mean. like her. So. It's, it's sort of like, it's like, <laughs> like she found like the exactly closest version to herself <laughs> that she could. Yeah, totally. Um, and then, so I want that. Or like, even if she wanted to do something that's like femininity that is not feminine so it's like mm -hmm. like get Kristen Stewart do you know what I mean like mm, yeah um other visions of womanhood is where I want her to go totally somebody what older women Ellen Burstyn yeah. you know why don't you collaborate with Ellen Burstyn and uh is it Burstyn or Burstyn um wonderful actor in her 80s now I think she's almost 90 um she's still working do explore older age Sophia <laughs> well here and here's the thing is like I think she can do it if she if like if she's kind of unable <laughs> to like make a film that is not in some way an analogy for her own life which is like the Coppola story that's how both of them are yeah. um then I think like she has to be going through something with her own mother like at her at her mother's current age that I think mm. would be really interesting yeah. because for Priscilla she talks about like we all see it as um talking about herself but I also see it and the way that she's talked about it is like the way that her mother felt being mm. around her dad all the time um yeah. and just kind of being shut down as her own creative pursuits were just shut down because she's around this like Titanic man all the time. Yeah. Um. And so like, I'm sure that's still the case now or like thinking about when her mom made her first movie at like, I don't even know, 70 or 80 years old. That's crazy. What is that yeah. like? You know what I mean? That's a great so story things. right there. Yeah. Yeah. Will Lily get a second chance at the podium given Stone's second win looks inevitable now? Does um, it look inevitable now? I mean, yeah. people I think are just reacting. Um, sorry to this person. Um, I don't think it's inevitable. Um, and I, I think it's just because she won the BAFTA. She she basically, Emma Stone hasn't lost. Whenever she's been up against five other women, she has won. Because the Golden Globe were Lily won two, they were not up against each other. That yeah. So she has won against Lily and she has won against everybody who's been nominated. But that's also what Kate Blanchett did last year and didn't win the Oscar. So until the SAG actually goes to Emma, I don't think um, she's winning. I don't think it's inevitable. Um, Lily was not at BAFTA. She wasn't even nominated. So the only person who could have maybe won there is Sandra Huller. But it's like, mm -hmm. whatever. 
Poor Things is a British movie made there about a British, based on a British book. Everybody who worked on it, except for Yorgos Lantimos and Emma Stone and the actors, was British. Like, it was shot in England. People, So I'm not surprised it won five BAFTAs or whatever. It's, it's a local industry movie. Mm. Um, and so I don't think it's inevitable that she's going to win. Um, and yeah, I mean... Lily has managed this campaign very well. I think that mm -hmm. she's going to be able to create opportunities for herself. Um, and let's just let's look look at Viola Davis. Um, like I think that's a good example of somebody when she did the help, she refused to be campaign and supporting. She said, I'm a leading lady, campaign me in lead, and I will win the Oscar or whatever. She didn't win. Um, but then her career skyrocketed. She became a TV star. She's, you know, a decade later, she's still working. She is making movies that are box office hits and movies that are critically acclaimed, working on stage, doing whatever it is she wants to do. So I think that's the blueprint for, for Lily Gladstone. Yeah. Um, I was really excited to see her announced for the memory police. I really liked that book. Um, so that was encouraging to me because one thing that wasn't encouraging to me about Michelle Yeoh's win was that the things that were announced for her immediately after her Oscar felt really similar to stuff that she'd already kind of been doing where it's like, uh, you know, Disney plus show where you're like, like secretly mm -hmm. really good at martial arts. You know what I mm -hmm. mean? It just felt yeah. like a lot of the same. Um, whereas, like Lil, that's a huge book and I, yeah. I think a pretty big production um so it does sound like she's getting kind of thrown back into the yeah prestige drama circle pretty quickly yeah and the thing that lily also has is youth she is younger mm -hmm. than when viola davis got got the help and she's younger obviously than much younger than michelle yo um so the thing that I think trumps opportunities for black and brown women is ageism. And that's just for all women, yeah. which which sort of like, so I guess that's why, that's my answer to why Michelle Yeoh maybe didn't get, but I think Lily will. Um, and actually I'm going to do the next question because I think it's um, related to this, the Meryl Streep mm. question. Um, mm, yeah. Darcy Asian, I think, Asian. Uh, and sorry if I'm saying that name incorrectly anyway what is going on with Meryl Streep's career has ageism come for the untouchable I love that question that's so funny um <laughs> I don't I have no insight into this whatsoever yeah. but this is just like a sense that I'm completely speculating about is that I think she's just doing whatever she wants to do yeah I I'm sure that she's not short of offers but I I think she just kind of like wants to have fun and it seems yeah. like she's having the time of her life on Only Murders in the Building, you know? Yeah, she's hanging out with her friends and doing shows and um, and being funny. And yeah, I mean, Meryl Streep, if she wants to do something, I think she somebody will offer her a role and think I'm sure she gets offers. Um, and, you know, she still can do the long day's journey into night or the equivalents of yeah. those, which are still made. It's not like people stop making those. Um well, I'm not saying stage, but, you know, there are movies like yeah. that uh, being made. I just have, if I were her, I'd be doing the exact same thing. <laughs> Proved yourself, got all of your flowers. Nobody doubts your talent. 
why would you <laughs> I would be like I'm gonna do a fun little show with my friends <laughs> that's it yeah that's um but it this is the longest time in her career that she has gone without an Oscar nomination so Meryl fans yes there is cause to worry but I think it's not about opportunities it's about what Izzy said it's just what she wants to do yeah <laughs> I would like to see her do, you know what? I would love to see her come back to the stage, which is a huge like undertaking. So I, yeah. again, I don't know that I would do it if I were like that secure in my life. <laughs> Probably um, not. Like why would Meryl Streep want to do eight shows a week? I don't know. I mean, I feel like she's always talked about it. Like oh, coming back to the stage, it's where I started. It's very, um, like Natalie Portman in May, December. <laughs> oh, I've always wanted to be on the stage. Yeah. Um, anyway, please give general thoughts on the curse and its ending. Wow, we were going to do an episode on the curse, but I don't mm -hmm. think we I have it in me to talk about the curse for like 45 minutes. Um, I like the curse and I hated the last episode. I think that's <gasps> the did. that's the sort of like gist of it for me. What about you? Wow. The last episode, like, made it for me. I loved the last oh, episode. All right. Okay. So this is interesting. Tell me why. Yeah. Um, I just thought it was so wild and audacious. And I haven't seen anything like that on TV in so long. And it was just, yeah, it was so inexplicable that I was just, I was in love with it. Like, how bold that choice was. Yes, I agree. The, the, the choice was very bold. Um, and for it to be wild and audacious it did have to be a full episode of just that. Yeah. Um, because if it was just one scene, um, it would not have had the same effect. But I felt like it sh it's, a, it's a joke and a joke should not be 40 minutes long. Um, so <laughs> I get what you're saying, that it's wild, it's audacious. And I understand they had to make it an episode. It's a TV show. Otherwise, it won't have the effect that they obviously got. Um, that people, you know, they, they wanted this thing of like you liking it, me hating it. Like that's, that's what you want. If you're doing a, yeah. a, a work of art, like you don't want everybody. And to I totally understand hating it. Yeah. I will. This is one of those things where I'm like, oh, for sure. People are going to hate this. Yes. It was just too long. And I was like, to what end? Like, I was just like, what are we watching here? And yeah, and I don't want, you know, there's series and people like an explainer of the last episode, but I think it's a joke. There is no explainer. To me, there is no explainer. Yeah, you don't need to explain it. Like you just take it as it is and whether you yeah. either like it or you don't, but there is no explainer. Like, what am I, what, are we going to explain the laws of gravity? Like, what are we doing? Not, there's no explainer. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. There was maybe like 10, like 30 seconds in when it when he first woke up where they're like oh it's probably the pressure from the systems we put in where i literally yes. googled i'm like is that possible <laughs> like i was like really that's so crazy and then i realized what was happening and i felt really dumb but yeah i thought it was great you know what i loved about that episode is um the look on emma stone's face um after she gives birth mm -hmm. and somebody asks her about the husband and she's just like she completely like, forgot whatever. about him <laughs> i mean her character is I think one of the best written characters on TV in a long time. Yes. And I mean, what a monster, truly. Total monster. And she really acted the shit out of that role. Like she, yeah, she was, did. she was mesmerizing. That whole, that whole begin. Did you like the beginning of the episode where they were on Rachel Ray? I was so obsessed with that. 
I mean, it's yes, because the way that I thought that was very funny. First of all, Rachel Ray hated them, which was very funny. Um, yes. And then the fact that she's just trying to do what she was told or and he is just there. Plastic smile, didn't say a word. The whole thing was very funny. And it sort of encapsulated yeah. their relationship and sort of how people might see them if you actually watch Green Queen or whatever that show is called. Yeah. Which just that, you would be like Rachel Ray. That, like, yeah, the idea that like even Rachel Ray <laughs> would be like contemptuous of them in an interview yes. is so <laughs> funny. It is funny. That was the best part of the episode. Oh man, that made me laugh so much. Two more? How does that sound? Yeah, that One sounds more? good. Two, let's do two more. And and thank you to everyone who who um sent questions, but I think yes. we're coming on time. Um, expectations about Megalopolis. I'm gonna watch it, I think. Same. <laughs> I think my expectations are kind of low, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Um, I mean, when was the last time Francis Ford Coppola made a movie that everybody loved? Well, I feel like that needs some. I don't know, reframing, because I feel like a lot of people didn't like movies that are actually pretty good just because he was kind of in a flop era. Like Rumblefish is really good. Rumblefish but, is amazing. That that would be my answer. But everybody <laughs> hated Rumblefish. Um, I, I even think... like the one with Richard Gere, The Cotton Club. I thought that um, was interesting. I'm a little, I feel like some of his greatest work was made under a lot of constraints that he complained about a lot and so i'm really curious to see what this like 30 year project with like limited constraints will result in i can't imagine that it's good i feel like he yeah. probably went um changed his mind on a lot of things a lot and had to redo things um yeah. and it's also, just gonna be too big if it's a script that was written that many years ago, from what I understand, right? Like it was written yeah. 30 years ago or something like that. Would it feel of that time? Like, would it be like a, something of like, as if it was made in the 90s? Like, um, or- well, he's, um, Yeah, like he started conceiving of this in the 80s. And yeah. I don't think like finished a script until like, I don't even know when. But I don't yeah. think there was a script until the 90s. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, I actually, my expectations are high for one reason, is that I think it will be interesting. And I think you and I are going to have fun talking about it. And I will, and both of us are going to have fun yeah. talking about it to everyone else. So totally. So from and that you know perspective. <laughs> I'm super excited to see what he can do with Aubrey Plaza. Yeah, let's go. That The casting is pretty yeah. interesting. You know, Shia LaBeouf is in it too. <laughs> oh, yeah. who, who is a terrible person, but a good actor. Good like, actor, though. Yeah. <laughs> Sad. Okay. If okay, and last question: If you were going to create a new Oscar category, what would it be? Well, I like the best newcomer, which is the Cesar and the BAFTA, um, mm -hmm. and the BAFTA sort of like gives them a different color statuette, like they give them green. But I won't trust the the public to vote on it um so maybe it should be a, I, I can i think BAFTA does a committee chooses the nominees and then the public votes um for the winner um and this year mia mckenna bruce who i loved in how to have sex um won which i was surprised to because usually like the biggest name wins and in this case it was jacob alordi um, but like mm -hmm. people like Emma Stone and Florence Pugh and Gugum Batha Raw and Daniel Kaluuya and, you know, Andrew, 
what is his name? Andrew Garfield. All of these people were nominated for Best Newcomer um, at the time when very few people knew who they were. And so it is, it, it proves that that category is very good. I'm not as versed in, in the Cesar one, but I know, for instance, Tahar Rahim won it. Amazing actor. The only person mm -hmm. I can think of won that at the Cesar. Um, so... Um, so why not? And it could be a different statue because people, maybe they don't want to give you an Oscar just because, hey, you started your career well. Yeah, make it a different looking thing. It could be a less like, you know, not the juvenile Oscar exactly. Yeah, that's Something what I was like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird that they just kind of like stop doing that. The juvenile one. Like what? I actually haven't looked into that. I don't know why they stopped, yeah. but. Maybe there's a video there. True. The people are clamoring for it. Um, I'm going to give a weirdly niche one, but mine would be editing for a documentary. <laughs> because I love that. Um, that is a completely different art form. Like no. the, the idea of editing a narrative where you kind of have a skeleton of what you're supposed to be making is a hundred percent different than like getting a hundred hours of raw footage and building something out of it that's absolutely. a completely different thing yeah. and they get absolutely no credit for it and that's so annoying to me um because i've seen like in jobs that i've worked before just handing over raw footage to people and seeing what they make out of it and seeing how much talent and hard work that requires like mm. it's such a specific skill set um and i wish they got more attention for it but you know there what? are like so many categories that i'd want um, yeah i'm dropping my best newcomer because actors get enough praise as it is um <laughs> yeah. and i'm joining your your because editing for, i think you. that's a brilliant choice and Thank you're you. right just for all the reasons you just explained i think they should just do it right away yeah that's a good I, i'm happy about the casting one although I, i'm sure that's just going to turn into like best ensemble yeah totally yeah um and then they should do i would love a voiceover one like like uh, animated performance yeah mm -hmm. yeah although i do think uh, that would encourage like the worst decisions a la chris pratt playing garfield yeah totally um, yeah the thing is once there is an award the behavior changes like mm -hmm. i'm i'm sort of like interested to see i don't think casting or the job of casting is going to change but i'm interested to see like what's gonna you know who's gonna campaign for that and how they're gonna campaign for it and what stories yeah. they're gonna tell because it's a story in the end vote for me because i did this this and that and i accomplished this this and that um it's a story that you convince people of. yeah totally um and then stunts should be one I mean, yeah, that's the obvious one. They should have yeah, already done that. For yes. sure. But yeah, I like the best um, documentary editor because it's so like, it is one of those things where it's like, that's not going to change. Like it, that yeah. it just is what it is. Yeah, and totally. Um, anyway. Yes. Yeah, that's about it. Well, thank you to everyone who sent us questions. Um, this has been so much fun to listen from you. And these questions have been amazing. Um, just... Um, I love our listeners. They're obviously engaged and lovely, amazing people, smart. Um, and mm -hmm. um, we will, I think, do one more episode before the Oscars where maybe we do some predictions next week. So, Oh, God. Oh God. Yeah, they're so soon, huh? That's crazy. 
Yes. So re get ready. Uh, tell us your predictions. And um, if you have Oscar questions, send them our way. Um, and until then, you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at I Am Picture Show. I'm on Instagram at Mortada underscore E and on Twitter at M-E underscore says. And I'm BK Rewind on Twitter and BK underscore Rewind on Instagram. And until next time, thank you for listening.